There's an old story that's uh, somewhat humorous, and it's a story about a man who's out hiking in the mountains, and he's heading down this mountain trail, and as he hikes, it slowly gets more and more narrow, and it reaches a point where this trail really becomes almost just like a ledge. And there's a sheer mountainside up on this side of his, his trail, and on this side, it's like a cliff with a sheer drop of about 1,000 feet down to the valley floor. Well, this man decides to keep hiking, so he's picking his way along very carefully on this narrow ledge, but unfortunately, he loses his balance, he trips, and he falls over the edge. And as he's plummeting toward the ground and flailing around, he sticks out his hand, and he manages to grab hold of a branch of a tree that's growing out of the side of the mountain face. And there he hangs. (laughs) One-handed. No way back up. And if he lets go... He's dead. His only hope is if by chance somebody else is coming along the trail and they just happen to have a rope and they just happen to have the strength to lower it and pull him back up. So he starts hollering at the top of his lungs, is anybody up there? Help, help, help! And suddenly he hears a deep voice. This is God. I've heard your cry for help, and I will rescue you. You just need to trust me. And the guy says, oh, God, thank you for showing up. Yes, just get me out of here, and of course I trust you. Listen carefully. I want you to let go of the branch. Let go of the branch, and I will catch you in the palm of my hand. God, you want me to let go? Yes, let go. The guy keeps hanging there. He waits, he looks around, he looks down at that sheer drop. And then he looks back up at the path from where he fell and he says, is anybody else up there? (laughs) A silly little story that actually highlights a profound point. Sometimes we don't like to do the things that God asks us to do. Particularly if what we perceive that he's asking us to do will lead us along a pathway filled with pain or hardship or risk. We don't like doing that. We want to avoid risk. We want to avoid hardship. We want to avoid pain. And that's true for us. And on the very last night of his life, it was true for Jesus. Jesus, when he came to earth, he knew that the cross was part of God's perfect plan. He knew that he came to earth to die for the sins of mankind. And yet here on the last night of his life, when he's just hours away from being crucified... He doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to do what he's being asked to do. And this is where we see the humanity of Jesus so very clearly because in his humanity, he really would prefer a different plan. Now what would you and I do if we were in that situation? faced with a plan that would lead to horrible, horrible pain. I think some of us would just pull back from God. Some of us might just holler to God, get me out of here. And what Jesus shows us 
is a better way. The best way to respond when pain is in our future. Jesus takes his disciples with him and he heads off to pray. And he prays because he knows that when we spend time with the Heavenly Father, something usually changes. Let's listen now as Ed comes, and Ed is going to read to us this powerful story of Jesus' last prayer. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for an hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thank you very much, Ed. That's one of those passages that it's really good for us just to hear all at once. And so I walk through the message. We're going to go back and look at key portions of that and zero in on a few key pieces. But I want you to feel the impact of what Ed just read. One Bible commentator has a fascinating summary of this passage. He said, this is a passage which we should approach on our knees. We can't just study these words. We need to embrace them with wondering adoration. And I agree wholeheartedly with that assessment because what Jesus models for us in this moment should fill us with gratefulness for what he was willing to do for us. And in addition, he shows us that honest, trusting prayer is transforming. This prayer was transforming for him. And when we approach God like Jesus did, prayer can be transforming for us as well. And what's really sad is that his disciples missed out on the blessings of prayer because they chose not to pray. And that's one of the tragic pieces to this particular story. Now, now I'd like us to picture the scene. Jesus and the disciples have finished the Last Supper, that Passover meal where Jesus 
fulfilled the Passover and gave us communion. And now they go out to pray in this garden called Gethsemane. And as they enter the garden, he leaves most of the disciples by the gate, and then he goes into the garden a little bit more deeply, and he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And now he's going to have this time of prayer. And those three guys are sometimes called the inner circle. They're his closest friends. And he longs for their companionship and their support at this very critical time. He wants them to watch and to pray. And yet at this moment, when he needs them the most, they don't follow through. And I wonder if we can imagine the sense of loneliness that Jesus must feel as his friends let him down. Let's take a couple, look at a couple of verses that summarize what's going on here. Jesus goes into the garden and says, remain here and watch with me. He's saying, I want you there by my side. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know, we've all been through difficult times, and when we go through trying times, we know how encouraging it can be to have people standing by us and praying with us and praying for us, and, and Jesus knows the value of that support, and that's why he wants these friends close by. And we know that they're close. They're close enough to actually hear Jesus as he prays to the Heavenly Father. And I find myself wondering, as they listen to the depth of Jesus' emotion... Shouldn't that motivate them to want to pray for him? If you overheard a friend crying out to God, wouldn't you want to stand with them in that moment? And yet Jesus prays, and then he wanders over to these friends, and he finds them sleeping. I I just think that's tremendously sad. And I think it must make Jesus feel very, very alone. We know that the next day on the cross, he is going to feel abandoned by the Heavenly Father. And here, his disciples already are starting to abandon him. And we obviously don't know all that he's feeling, but all of this must tug at his heart. And yet, even as Jesus expresses frustration, that they wouldn't stay awake and watch with him and for him. He's also not concerned only for himself. Even at this moment when he has every reason to be self-absorbed, he's thinking about his disciples and he wants them to be ready to endure the coming events. He wants them to be ready to respond in a godly way to his arrest and his crucifixion. The best way for them to prepare for what is coming is to pray, and they don't. And that is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for them. And you know what, it's heartbreaking for us when we miss the opportunity to be strengthened for whatever the future might send our way. To miss the opportunity to be strengthened by spending time with God in prayer. And so Jesus gently rebukes them, 
and he encourages them, oh, pray, pray for yourselves. And then he goes back to pray again. And as we heard, as Ed read this passage, this prayer of Jesus is clearly not a routine prayer because he is in agony. And I want us to look at a couple of verses that make this very, very clear. He began to be sorrowful and troubled, and then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Have you, any of you ever described yourself that way? I don't think I have. I, I can barely begin to imagine what that must be like. And then going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I mean, Jesus clearly is in agony here and, and he's, he must be thinking about how his body is going to be ripped apart on the cross the next day and it's now ripping him apart emotionally in this very moment. And again, we don't know all that's going on inside his head and his heart, but the Bible gives us a very vivid picture about how he expresses his anguish. And when we put together this account here in Matthew with the one in Mark and the one in Luke, it becomes apparent that as Jesus steps away from his three friends to pray, that he drops to his knees. And as he's praying, they're kneeling, he is sweating bullets. And the sweat is pouring off of him and the drops are falling on the ground. And Hebrews 5, 7 says that he offers up these prayers with loud cries and tears. Oh, he is in incredible anguish. And then eventually he actually falls on his face and lays out full length before God as he wrestles with what's going on within his soul. And he says to God, if there's any way possible, can I avoid the cross? Oh, that is agony. But what Jesus shows us is that we need to pray through our agony. I think we have to admit it's not easy to pray when we are emotionally stirred up, when we are feeling deep, deep things, sometimes we avoid prayer. We don't talk much about Satan, but the fact is we have a spiritual enemy. A spiritual enemy who wants to rip us apart and destroy our souls. And our spiritual enemy is the father of lies. And what he tells us is the way you protect yourself when you're feeling all this emotion is to ignore it. Don't talk to God about it. Just submerge it. Don't deal with it. And just suck it up and press on. And that's a lie. Because avoiding God and avoiding prayer won't eliminate our agony. The pain just sits there beneath the surface and festers and it tears us apart from within. I saw this in a very vivid way with a, a friend of mine named Tom and I encountered Tom one day and he was beside himself. He had just learned that his wife Brenda had been unfaithful to him. And as you might imagine, he was in agony. And evidently this was more than a one night stand. It was an extensive affair over an extended period of time. And they were never caught and Brenda came to regret her unfaithfulness. So she ended the affair. She confessed it to God and asked God to forgive her. 
She came to Tom and confessed it to Tom and asked Tom to forgive her. And Tom, he was just an emotional mess as we might understand. He could scarcely begin to deal with the reality of his wife's betrayal, let alone decide if he was willing to forgive her. And, and he said, what should I do? And I said, I think you need to pray. You need to pray and ask God for wisdom, and you need to ask God for comfort, and you need to just take all this stuff that you're feeling and just dump it at the feet of Jesus. And what Tom said is, I think what many of us might feel in a moment like that, he said, I am so miserable and full of sorrow, I'm so full of anger and the desire to lash out that I can't even think about praying. Now I have to say I understand that because there's times when I've reacted the same way. When we are feeling beat up by life, it's tempting just to ignore all of our feelings and emotions, and it's tempting to ignore God, but actually that's the worst possible thing we can do because only God can intervene and sustain us through these agonizing moments of life. And I said, Tom, I have no idea what you're feeling right now. I just know that when we are broken and in agony, the only logical thing to do is to just pour out our hearts to God. Well, Tom didn't want to do that. And he ignored God for weeks. He didn't pray. Didn't get encouragement from other believers. He just got more and more isolated, more and more alone, and more and more bitter. And that certainly wasn't going to heal his marriage. And I was deeply concerned, but he didn't want to talk to me anymore. All I could do was pray for him. But somehow, way, the Holy Spirit got a hold of Tom and he finally, thankfully, turned back to God and he started to pray. And because he prayed and because he continued to pray, he was able to find the strength to deal with this mess. And he was able to find the strength to forgive. He was able to see some areas where he had failed as a husband and he was able to admit that to Brenda. And he and Brenda started to pray together. And over many, many months, with some bumps along the way and some ups and downs along the way, there was incredible healing that took place and they worked their way back into a healthy and harmonious marriage. And they were reconciled and they were restored because they didn't pull away from God, but instead they leaned into God. And whether it's a broken relationship or financial struggles, whether it's a conflict at work or at school or in the church, whatever the problem, whatever the pain, the best thing we can do is to lean into God and pray through our agony. And that's what Jesus does here. And he does it repeatedly because he prays again and again and again. And yet there's something else we need to see because it's not just praying repeatedly that makes a difference. How we pray matters a whole lot. And what we see from Jesus is that he prays with trust. And we know that because he's completely honest with the Father, as verse 39 makes clear. 
We took a look at this verse just a moment ago, but now I've added on the last few words. Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There is such incredible openness and honesty here between Jesus and the Heavenly Father. And here's what I'd like you to think about. I'm sure you all know this, but, but when we don't fully trust someone, we can't be fully honest with them. There's things that I will tell my wife, Julie, that I will never tell another human being. Because, <laughs> oh, do I trust her. I trust her because I know her so well, and she knows me so well. And I trust her with my fears. I trust her with my insecurities. I trust her with my hopes and my dreams. I trust her with my doubts. And what Jesus shows us here is that when we know the Heavenly Father well, we can trust Him the same way. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't hold anything back. As I said before, we know that Jesus came to go to the cross. And now that this moment's arrived, Jesus is saying, somehow, some way, I'd love these plans to change, Father. And we need to realize how profound that request is. Jesus uses that term cup. He says, I want this cup to pass me by. And as we saw last week, that term cup is filled with spiritual implication. It's the cup of Passover that Jesus transformed into the cup of communion. And Jesus is saying, when I experience what this cup represents, there's going to be a whole new way for God and human beings to relate together, and it's going to be through my blood. And this is a plan that God set in motion a long, long time ago. And this cup offers hope to mankind. But for us to receive the promise of the cup, Jesus has to take all the sin of the world on himself. And so as we think about that cup, we realize that for us, oh, that cup means hope. It means promise. It means forgiveness. It means a new life in connection with Christ. But for Jesus in that moment, it represents sin and judgment and death. Painful, shameful, violent death. Now who wants to go through that? I think that if anyone ever had a legitimate reason to pray for their circumstances to change, it was Jesus in that moment. And because he trusts the Father, he's not afraid to say, God, in my humanity, would you change this eternal plan? And there is power in that kind of brutal honesty with God. And Jesus' honesty with God is a result of the fact that he trusts God. And he's able to trust the Father with his, his fears. He's able to trust the Father with his deepest human emotions. But here's the most important thing. Jesus trusts that the Father knows what he's doing. And so Jesus knows in his humanity what he wants, but he doesn't draw a line in the sand and say, you know, Father, you really need to see things my way. Jesus realizes that the most fruitful outcome of this time of prayer is for him to align his mind and his heart and his will and his emotions with the will of the Father. 
You see, Jesus knows that what is best for him is to want what the Father wants. And that's why Jesus is able to say, I don't want to do this, but I am willing to do what you want. And that's trust. And that's what Jesus repeatedly says to the Father. So we see in this story, Jesus prays and then he takes a break and he prays again and he takes another break and he prays some more. And what he's modeling for us is that persistent, honest, trusting prayer. As we connect with the heavenly Father who loves us and has our best interests at heart, that kind of prayer, it opens up our hearts to God and it leads to meaningful change. And sometimes when we pray fervently and passionately and openly and honestly, our circumstances do change. But I think more often what God wants to do in response to our prayers is to change us. That's certainly what happened with Jesus. We know his circumstances didn't change. And I am so thankful that his circumstances didn't change. Because if his circumstances had changed, you and I would not have a way to experience God's grace and become his children. If it wasn't for Jesus' painful circumstances, we'd be in a lot of pain. So there's purpose at times in pain. And it here's Jesus, God in the flesh, in this moment, living as the Son of God, crying out to God, saying, if it's up to me and my humanity, would you change the circumstances? And if the circumstances don't change, I've had people say to me, well, if the circumstances don't change when you pray, then what's the point of praying at all? And I think the answer is profound. Prayer is transforming because it changes us. It changes the way you and I walk with God through the hardest parts of life. And that is exactly what Jesus experiences here as a result of this heartfelt, agonizing, honest prayer. I'd like us to look at a couple of verses that help us see the transformation that took place in Jesus. Opening words as he comes into the garden. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Words as he's ready to leave the garden. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. What a contrast between the way Jesus enters the garden and the way he's now ready to leave the garden. At first he's woeful and anxious and filled with agony and all he can do is just to fall down to the ground and cry out to God. Now that he's prayed though, he can stand and he can face the future with courage and resolve. He can face Judas his betrayer. He can face those soldiers coming with Judas who are going to arrest him. He can face the cross. His circumstances haven't changed. But oh, how he has been changed. Jesus has been strengthened because he has spent time with the Father in prayer. Now, it's true 
that sometimes because of fervent prayer, circumstances do change. Sometimes we pray and people are healed of physical diseases. Sometimes we pray and calamity is avoided. Sometimes we pray and and that threatened layoff doesn't happen at your company because they miraculously turn things around. Sometimes we pray and a broken relationship is healed. Yes, because of prayer, sometimes circumstances do change. But sometimes we have to experience hard and painful things. And God wants to use our times of prayer, yours and mine, to prepare us for those moments, to transform us, to change our attitudes and our actions so that we can not only accept God's path, but we actually can find purpose and fulfillment by aligning our will with God's will even when his plan is not what we want. Jesus shows us that we can press forward with confidence through the pain. And we can keep walking with God hand in hand through the pain. I think of a woman I know who who battled cancer for three years and And she went into remission, and the doctor said, we're holding it at bay, but we have no hope of a permanent cure. So she didn't know if she was living on borrowed time or not. And I sat down with her and asked her about her experience, and she said something incredibly profound. And I will not be able to get through this without getting emotional. I want you to listen to these words. They, were, they touched me so deeply, I wrote them down. I would not have wished the pain and agony of the past three years on my worst enemy, but I would not have missed this experience for the world. Why? Because my relationship with my Father in heaven is now so much stronger and richer and deeper. She learned that sometimes God's path leads us through pain to a much better place. And so, yeah, she had all kinds of physical stuff she was dealing with. But here she was able to say, I'm in such a better place because of the connection that I have with my Father in heaven. And you know what occurs to me, what she said is what happened to Jesus, what she said and what she experienced. Jesus faced the cross, but what was on the other side of the cross? Resurrection, reunion with the Father. Because sometimes walking with God through pain leads to a much better place. But that's really hard for us to accept. And none of us are masochists, I hope. And we don't want to willingly walk into pain. I I think as we have to envision that kind of a path that God may ask us to walk, I don't think we can reason our way through it. I I don't think we can get through that if we let ourselves be controlled by our emotions or or if we ignore our emotions and try to bury them. I think the way to get, get there and to walk through that kind of path is to pray and be honest with God and to pray, and to pray again, and to pray some more. 
And I think what Jesus shows us here is that when we pour out our heart to God, then God can do His work on our heart. And when our hearts have been changed, then like Jesus, we can rise up and we can rise up and face whatever comes and we can stand and face agonizing situations with the confidence and the courage and the assurance that only comes from God. Here's a quote from another Bible commentator. Jesus rose from his knees to go out to the battle of life. And that's what prayer is for. In prayer, we kneel before God so we can stand erect and confident before others. In prayer, we enter the presence of heaven so we can face the battles of earth. Boy, I love that. And I am truly convinced that if you and I approached prayer as an opportunity to be changed by our, our encounters with God, if that was our emphasis more than trying to get God to change the circumstances, but God, I'm spending time with you and I'm believing that that will change me, and if that's how we approach things, I believe your life and mine would unfold in a much different way. And I think we would find ourselves handling the adversity of life in a completely different manner. I have to tell you that for years, whenever I was facing a hardship, I would really, I would just kind of like whine at God. <laughs> and I'd make demands. I can remember driving along in my car at times going, God, get me out of this situation! <laughs> That's kind of a childish tantrum. But now, I try to pray differently because of what I've learned from this last prayer of Jesus. And so when I'm going through the garbage, one of the things I do is say, Father, what is it you want to teach me? How might you want to change me through this circumstance? How might you want to lead me through this pain and get to a better place? And if we're honest, we, we, we probably don't pray like that very much. And I have to say it's still new and different for me to pray this way. But I've learned that this kind of prayer can produce a changed heart and a changed mind and a changed attitude and a changed outlook and a changed faith and a deeper trust in God. And I really do believe that often it is this kind of change that is the most profound result of our prayers. And when you and I pray, we need to remember that Jesus' very last prayer made no change in his circumstances, but made a huge change in how he faced those circumstances. Prayer does change things. And when you and I pray, I think we should live with the hope that our circumstances might change. But most of all, when we pray, let's go to those times to meet God and spend time with Him, to talk with Him openly and honestly. And then as we pray, let's live with this incredible expectation that God, because I've spent time with you and because you are my loving Father, may the most profound work you do, Lord, be to bring about a change in me.
please pray with me. Heavenly Father, it is an amazing thing that you invite us to open up our hearts to you in prayer. And each time we pray, may we follow the example of Jesus and just be honest with you. And Lord, we are to pray fervently for changed circumstances, but may we also be looking for ways that you want to change us. And help us never to forget that you always have our best interests at heart, even if the way ahead seems hard. And I pray, Lord, that in moments like that, that we would align our minds and our hearts with you and be willing to follow wherever you lead, trusting that we can walk with you through the pain and find fulfillment and purpose in your path in believing that on the other side of that pain, we can in fact arrive at a much better place. Help us never to forget this very last prayer that Jesus offered. And Lord, may we learn to pray more and more as he prayed. And we offer this prayer now in the name of Jesus Christ, our amazing, amazing Savior. Amen.